One of the earliest scriptures in the Buddhist tradition describes ultimate spiritual realization in this way. It describes it as touching enlightenment with your body. That's the description. That the ultimate realization is touching enlightenment with your body. And I thought that was really interesting. It's not touching enlightenment by realizing it with your mind, you know, or with your awareness. It's touching enlightenment with your body. And part of what's um, kind of compelling about that statement is that so much of meditation in, is mistaken to be a way of kind of transcending our body and transcending what seems ordinary, uh, the earthy stuff, and being in these crystal rainbows of glimmering lights and, you know, being out there. You know, it's out-of-body experiences that I know for myself, a lot of us were going for for a lot of years. And this is saying exactly the opposite, that our freedom is an in-the-body experience. Genuine realization true awakening by its very nature requires that we're awake in these forms that we're fully here that there's no bypassing that it's that awareness awareness realizes itself through these forms so I use the metaphor a lot of ocean and waves that the oceanness take shape as waves and, and we discover through these waves that it's really, we're made of that oneness, of that water, we are the ocean. And that way we celebrate and inhabit and play and cherish the beauty of the forms. It's not a getting away from these forms. So in the Buddhist tradition, the first foundation of mindfulness, the first training is of this world of sensation and I tried to emphasize it in the guided meditation because any talk, which this is going to be on embodiment on touching enlightenment with our bodies any talk by nature has to acknowledge how disembodied we are isn't it true? I mean, don't, don't we kind of go around kind of as uh, I think some of you have heard uh, I think it was James Joyce described in one of his novels Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body, you know. <laughs> I remember one friend of mine described these interviews done with children and they were asked about the purpose of the body and the response one child said was to carry the head around, you know. <laughs> anyway, so what we find is that the pathway to freedom really is this awakeness that very much starts with and includes this aliveness right here in these bodies. So are you feeling your body right now? Are you here? So we'll just keep coming back. One of my friends says when you listen to these Dharma talks, uh, have 98% of your attention in your body and 2% listening and don't worry, you won't miss a thing, you know. <laughs> Stay here. Stay here. So the pathway is this awakeness to this aliveness. And by nature, this life here is 
It's changing all the time. And it's a constant movement of pleasantness and unpleasantness and sometimes neither pleasant or unpleasant. And the trick is how do we really learn to stay? I mean, how do we be awake when it doesn't feel so good? And for many of us, how do we be awake when it feels really good? We have a, a toleration, a kind of a limit to how much pleasure we're even uh, inclined to handle. So our habit, our conditioning, is to leave a lot. That's just our conditioning. And so any talk on embodied presence is always a talk on how to stay, which I think is a really good phrase. It's Pema Chodron was the first place I heard it, a teacher, Tibetan teacher, learning to stay. So I've, I've spoken a lot here about the basic Buddhist teachings, and this is not just Buddhism, it's Western psychology too, that when it's pleasant, rather than just stay, really open, really letting the aliveness be pleasure, there's some clutching. And when it's unpleasant, we tighten and pull away. And this resisting what's here, this trying, we try to constantly control our experience. If you pause and really notice what's going on, you'll notice there's some kind of controlling. We want more of this and less of that. It's rare that there's just what's called bare attention, just absolutely yes to what is, right here, noticing. And it's very much reinforced by a culture. We have a culture that worships the brain and tries to dominate nature and control other countries as well as our own earth and um, is doing a pretty bad job of it. But it's very much in our culture, it's very much part of our medical culture that we over-drug things. As soon as there's pain, it's thought of as a problem and that something is wrong, it shouldn't be there. The same way we think aging and, and sickness and death is like it shouldn't be happening. It's slightly embarrassing when it happens to moi, you know. There's a, there's a cell, it's like it's not natural. We forget. So we anesthetize our births and we do horrible things to our deaths, you know. So the point's not that when pain comes we should celebrate it or be machismo. I, I love George Carlin, he says, my motto is, no pain, no pain, you know? <laughs> I think that's great. I'll, I'll share another, another George Carlin I ran across recently. He says, they show you how detergents take out blood stains. I think if you've got a t-shirt with blood stains all over it, maybe your laundry isn't your biggest problem. <laughs> anyway, blood, pain, our reflex, our flinch response, and this is true for any physical discomfort. We move. We move away and try to control. And we do it for emotional discomfort. We don't know how to just stay and sense what is happening. We try to get rid of it. And we generally build a story when there's discomfort. In some way we feel oppressed or victimized by it. We take it very personally. There's a self that something's going wrong too. 
So I'll share um, a personal story, which is I carved out some time last weekend after I taught. I, last week after the Wednesday, I carved out a few days, which I call the self-retreat. I try to go on retreats regularly, and I couldn't go away for one. So I, you know, my, my house was emptied. Jonathan had gone away and so on. So I did a self-retreat. I was, I was excited about my self-retreat. You know, I unplugged phones, and the computer screen was black, and the whole deal. And I'd been planning on it, and I thought during this self-retreat, I'd be on si you know, complete silence, and the only things would be sitting, meditation, and walking, and maybe I'd go swimming, you know, I'd kind of go back and forth, you know, eat a little, you know, that kind of thing. Well, as it turned out, um, I came down with an ear infection from swimming, and so my self-retreat was really a lot of learning to stay with, which became systemic, uh, an infection. So what happened was I kept on having to recycle through the story of this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like it wasn't quite, <laughs> this was not my idea. This is not the way I wanted it to be. And, and it wasn't fun, you know. I had these ideas of how my self-retreat was supposed to be. And then I, you know, kind of caught on to, okay, so this is the curriculum. You know, this is, this is what's here. And so the intention was to agree, to keep on agreeing to whatever sensations or emotions or stories were coming up, to agree to be here. Just keep coming back. You know how I say here in, in the sitting sometimes, you can start fresh in any moment. Like this moment. You can notice, am I in my body? You know, am I aware of sensations? Is there a quality of presence? So that was, that was the practice. Now sometimes the question comes with physical discomfort, well, shouldn't we be doing something about it? This isn't about not taking care of ourselves. I mean, I did call a doctor and I did get on antibiotics, so this, this is not like this thing of you just sit and stay with anything, even if you're, you know, torn up and bleeding and whatever. It's, you do what you need to do. But then what happened was my mind kept proliferating. Well, how did this happen? And how can I feel better? And how come I'm not able to be as, in, you know, present with this? What I found, and this is, you know, really it, it doesn't really matter the level of pleasantness or unpleasantness. The inner freedom comes from just this willingness to be here. And in the moments when I was arguing with how it was, in any way resisting, in any way inside a story of poor me or this shouldn't be happening, there was suffering. And I don't mean the kind of suffering like anguish suffering, but there was a disconnect. My heart was tight. I was clenched in some way. And in the moments where I absolutely said yes, Okay, so it's these sensations. This kind of fear, because there was a fear that it was going to be an infection I couldn't kick. Completely yes. Then space would open up. And there would be a shift from being the aggrieved self. I find I become, I have a sense of self as the beleaguered or aggrieved or victimized self. From that to becoming that openness, that listening presence, that just listening to and feeling the moment. enlightenment, touching our body with awakeness.
this body self. So let's look a little closer because the basic teaching is that when we're in any reaction this isn't okay, I don't want to be here trying to fix, trying to control there's not true freedom. And there's a couple of basic kind of principles and one principle is pain is inevitable, suffering's optional. Okay, that's number one. That unpleasantness is going to keep happening in our life and it's possible to discover a real freedom, a kind of peace and happiness and openness in the midst. That's teaching number one. And the second is pain times resistance equals suffering. Pain times resistance equals suffering. To the extent that we are in any way arguing with how it is, there's suffering. So if we look at our lives, each one of us, there has been physical pain and emotional pain that we have resisted, each one of us. And when it's a pattern over the years, that pain gets pushed under and it gets actually locked into the soft tissue of our body. In Buddhism it's said that the unconscious is in our body. In other words, there's a walling off. What we resist, we wall off and it's there. It's there but it's disconnected from our consciousness. So what happens when we resist, when we wall off experience in any moment, when we're not liking something, we try to get away? Okay, number, the first thing that happens, it takes energy to resist. When we're pushing away fear, when we're pushing away grief or loneliness, when we're trying to get away from physical discomfort, it takes energy so we get tired. Number two, pushing away creates tension so there's a lack of flow and a lot of health has to do with just the flow of energy in our body. There's a stuckness. And number three, whenever we're resisting anything, our psyche knows that, we're res that something's there and so there's apprehension. We live with chronic anxiety. You might think of it like, what would it be like to go to a party and know that at that party there was someone you definitely did not want to see, okay, that you wanted to avoid. And it might seem that your movement was free and according to your party objectives. <laughs> but, but, you know, but how much, how much of your movement's really organized around wanting to avoid contact? I mean, there's some awareness of where they are in the room, some tension, you know. How open-hearted or affectionate can you really feel in any given interaction when there's somebody you're not liking and not wanting to be with? How much ease? How much real joy? So the person at the party is the unpleasant or unwanted part of our own experience. When there's a part of ourselves we don't like, an emotion we don't like, if right now there's a physical sensation going on in your body you don't like, to the extent that there's some pulling away, there's not real freedom, there's not real ease. 
So that was, for me, during this silent retreat, it became very clear that to the, if there was any pulling away from the physical discomfort, I couldn't truly feel awake and open-hearted in the moment. There's a kind of dividedness that happens in our being when we're resisting, a kind of separation. The rejected part of our experience when we live through our lives and there's like habitually pushing under the loneliness or the shame or the fear, that energy becomes our unlived life. It's our unlived life. Rather than feeling it, digesting it, being with it, processing it, it's an unlived place in us. One of the most powerful statements I've ever heard was from Carl Jung when he said that the most biggest influence a parent has on their child is their unlived life. So take a minute with that one because when I first heard it I went, wow, yeah, that really makes sense. And it wasn't until more recently that I went, wow, really, that really makes sense. You know, like, think of it. The biggest influence that our parents have on us or we have on our children is our unlived life, that which we've been pushing away the process of pushing away. Because any kind of pushing away keeps us from full presence and full loving. If we're pushing away one thing, there's a pushing away going on. Our hearts aren't free. We're not here. We suffer from the unseen, unfelt parts of our being, what we've been unwilling to stay and be with. So pain, the unpleasantness times resistance, the pushing away, equals suffering. And the main way we push away, we usually go into our minds and we blame. We create something into a bad other. I read this a few days ago. It says, when someone annoys you, it takes 42 muscles in your face to frown but it only takes four muscles to extend your arm and smack the creep upside the head. <laughs> anyway, so now what's the teaching in this here? <laughs> it's not advice for that party, by the way. <laughs> the teaching is really that we're in the habit of resisting. And there's something called least resistant pathways in the brain that we go the pattern or the pathway that is the least, there's the least resistance inside us, it's the easiest, and it's easier to react than it is to stay. It's easier to go off into blaming than it is to feel our vulnerability. It was easier for me to go on to these trains of thought on what I could do to feel better than to face the actual raw sensations of unpleasantness. Our life is filled with habits where it's easier to react and leave than it is to really be here. So the training in meditation is to notice when we leave, not to judge it. It's, it's our conditioning, it's absolutely pervasive, and yet to notice when we leave and have a deep commitment 
to hearness. It's get, the word's getting out in the culture. I mean, last, last month's New Yorker had a cartoon with two people leaving a meditation class and one was saying to the other, you know, it's just like worry, but without the content, <laughs> you know? <laughs> just feeling what's here, feeling what's here. But here's the truth about awareness. Here's the truth about it. That awareness wants to realize itself. And so it will come back for all the unlived, undigested, unfaced parts of our experience. When we start quieting down, that which we've been running from will present itself, not because there's something sadistic in this world, but because awareness wants to realize itself and doesn't want to leave anything behind. There's a movement towards wholeness towards including the unlived life. Every time we get together here, every time you choose to pause and really come home to the moment, that's a choice to really include what's being left out, this unfolding into wholeness. This is um, author and psychotherapist Alice Miller. She says, the truth about our childhood is stored up in our body and although we can repress it, we can never alter it. Our intellect can be deceived, our feelings manipulated and conceptions confused and our body tricked with medication. But someday our body will present its bill for it is as uncorruptible as a child who, still whole in spirit, will accept no compromises or excuses and it will not stop tormenting us until we stop evading the truth. So take a moment again and just, this is harder than listening to, to a talk, but just listen to your body. in this path to truth we touch enlightenment with our body there's a kind of courageous willingness and it really does take courage to wakefully experience the life of these bodies any discomfort that presents itself is an invitation to pay attention and to surrender resistance to say yes it's a process of bringing that which is contracted pushed away into undivided awareness. Now continuing to listen, but feeling your body. If you want to understand the transformation that happens in meditation, this is the alchemy of transformation. Any moment that 
a conditioned kind of tension, an anxious thought, a tight belly, a clutch of fear, any moment that that's experienced with a full embodied presence, not the slightest pulling away, not the slightest controlling, a profound shift happens. You can open your eyes if you'd like. Whether it's in sitting meditation or through the day, any moment there's something that we normally pull away from that we instead stay, and not just stay with what I call bargaining mind. Okay, I'll stay if you go away. Because <laughs> we do that. And here's the problem with bargaining mind. Let's say some fear comes up and we go, okay, I'm going to stay with this, I'm going to stay with this. It knows. <laughs> it's, you can't trick it. So the quality of presence, this committed presence, needs to be truly saying yes. Now saying yes, I use that language a lot, is a complete willingness to be with what's here. It doesn't mean we like it. It doesn't mean we're kind of resigning to it. It means that we're absolutely choosing presence, what's real, over our normal strategies of leaving. We're absolutely committed to that. So how do we develop that capacity. The first part is what we're doing here, that if we each have a daily practice of being awake and aware in these bodies, that that becomes the ground of presence, we know how to come home again, how to stay a little better. I came across a, a statement from a Tibetan teacher that was very simple. It was, this is the teacher Talopa, he said, do nothing with the body but relax. Now, right now as you're sitting, just notice what happens. You can close your eyes so you can deepen your attention, but just do nothing but relax. Do nothing but relax. And notice what happens. When we begin to really relax, which means really, in a way, saying yes to what's here, we begin to feel the body. You know, sensations can be felt in every part of the body, but why don't we feel? We have tensions pushing away the sensations. It's a kind of resisting that numbs and prevents the sensations from being felt. We have mental tensions, that's thoughts, that prevents us from feeling what's here. What happens when we relax, when we do nothing but relax in the body? Continue to pay attention. The first step in this touching enlightenment with our body is to discover the wakefulness of the body. Get familiar with it. Do nothing but relax. 
as you're relaxing, see if you can sense the sensations of the body as a unified field, just the whole field, relaxing. Pleasant or unpleasant, it doesn't matter. Just relax with it. Keep relaxing wakefully. And relax, open the senses so that relaxed attention is listening. Relaxing listening, relaxing feeling. Relaxing with the entire moment, awake. So this is the first part that we practice waking up our senses, relaxing, awake our senses, so we're actually feeling the life that's here. Okay, here's a poem for you. You can open your eyes if you'd like. This is called Duck Meditation. Now we're ready to look at something pretty special. It's a duck, riding in the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf, as he cuddles in the swells. There's a big heaving in the Atlantic and he is part of it. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is and neither do you. But he realizes it somewhere and what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. (laughs) Duck meditation. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity which it is. That is religion and the duck has it. How about you? (laughs) Duck meditation. (laughs) So reposing in the immediate as if it is infinity, which it is. So we come back again and again to that here-ness, okay? Senses awake. And then what happens? Sometimes what happens is we feel this aliveness and this presence and it reminds us why we're even doing this. It's really a kind of homecoming. It's like there's a real intimacy with life that lets us know that we're really arriving in in sacredness. At other times we open, we come here, we sit down into the moment and what happens is there's something really difficult that we've actually been running from, but we weren't quite aware we were running from it, and all of a sudden, oh, so this is what's here. (laughs) And it's not so pleasant. It might be like a clutch of anxiety, or it might be a physical tension in the body. So what's happened? We've started to become more aware, and awareness invites the unlived life. Awareness is inviting the parts of us that are asking for attention to be included. And then it's out of our dedication to being real that we stay. Remember, 
awareness comes back for all the parts of our being that have been pushed away. All the parts that have been pushed away. So anytime there's an arising of tension, of fear, of sadness, of physical unpleasantness, it's an invitation to pay attention and to say yes, anytime. Now, the, again, as I mentioned, that doesn't mean when, it's, when there's a lot of pain that we don't take care of ourselves. Um, but a lot here is asking for healing attention, which is presence. That's the deepest healing. Again, I saw another um, cartoon I really liked that had this doctor, he's kind of stroking his chin and his patient's this guy sitting there in the seat with this enormous dagger in his back. And the doctor's sitting there going, yeah, well, it has to come out, of course, but that doesn't address the deeper problem, you know. And in real suffering, there are stuff that's unpleasant and we scurry around trying to fix it and the deep problem is the scurrying around. The deep suffering is that we are not learning to come here and stay. So back to my self-retreat. So I quieted down some. I was there for enough cycles that I got quieter and there was more spaciousness and more of a sense of not a self busy trying to fix herself. But later in the day, um, as sometimes happens, you know, you start feeling sicker later in the day, I started feeling way sicker. It brought up this cascade of thoughts. As many of you know, I went through a lot of illness last year and I thought, oh my gosh, it's coming back and, you know, this is going to be a downward spiral. So I went into the future. That's the recipe for real, real suffering, you know, going into the future. <laughs> And this whole trauma of, that I had been through of not being able to count on my body, and I, I, if I asked for a hand raise, I'm sure many of you know that experience of feeling kind of betrayed by the body and just not knowing if you can count on it. And it brings up so much of, I don't know if I can show up next week and teach, or I don't know if I can do this or that, or, and in the deepest way, enjoy living, you know. So I went off into, a, into that kind of spiral, and then again, okay, so what's my deepest intention here? What really matters? And the what really matters is pain times resistance equals suffering, to not resist, to really be here for the actuality of the experience. And I asked myself the question, what does it mean to really love the life that's here? Because really not resisting, really loving what's here, honoring what's here, really saying yes, what does that mean? And for me it was a very physical kind of surrendering into the experience. And on some level I think it always involves surrendering our resistance. And I found that the more I could absolutely agree to the experience, surrender any resistance, there was a kind of tenderness and openness where it's so clear that it wasn't a self being victimized, but rather there was just a space of presence and compassion for these waves of experience. The alchemy of awakening, the enlightenment, which is really in any moment, is the moments 
that we stop resisting, that we disarm ourselves, that we absolutely say yes to life just as it is. That is what it means to love the life that's here. I love the way Chogyam Trungpa put it. He says that we meet our edge and we soften. We meet our edge and we soften. And when we do that and we come to that kind of kindness and presence within us, then when we meet others, rather than the edginess that sees other and has reaction, there's tremendous space. There's, there's a capacity to really embrace and love the life that's here in others too. We can't really be in love with others if we don't love the life that's right here in these bodies. Touching enlightenment with our bodies is a radical notion. It means that you actually completely allow and bring a kind presence to the experience that's right here in this body. It is the gateway to loving the world. There's no way to love others if there's not that compassionate presence with the life that's here. So this is um, one woman who's a teacher described her experience after a long bout with cancer. She said, A large abdominal tumor was removed and with it all that I had clung to as certainties in my life. I quit work and I stopped the spiritual teaching. I turned to anything I thought might help me change what had led to that cancer, from acupuncture to depth therapy. I became humble before the body. That was 15 years ago, and I can now say that it was the biggest turning point and awakening of all. I had used my body to practice. Now I had to inhabit it, respect it, love it with all the feminine force and nurturing and understanding I had withdrawn into my spiritual life. Keeping my heart in my body became my practice. Keeping my heart in my body became my practice, and it has become glorious. Even the first awakenings into perfection and grace did not come close to showing me the joy of living in the body, in the senses, in each moment. I love my life in a new way. This has become the place of freedom. So really this is the ground of our practice. If we begin to observe our day, we'll notice that we're constantly leaving, that there's constantly a movement into thoughts and into controlling experience and a liking things and a disliking. Be patient. It's completely our our wiring and it's okay. And we have this capacity to notice the leaving. And because there's a deep longing in each of us to come home to the truth of what we are, we can choose to be here. The here-ness is the gateway to the truth of what we are. And the here-ness very much is a presence with these living bodies. So 
So I'll read you a, a poem from Mary Oliver and then we'll just take a sit, we'll just sit for a couple of moments together. And this is called White Flowers. So you might just meditate with this, just let it in. Last night in the fields I lay down in the darkness to think about death but instead I fell asleep as if in a vast and sloping room filled with those white flowers that open all summer sticky and untidy in the warm fields. When I woke the morning light was just slipping in front of the stars and I was covered with blossoms I don't know how it happened. I don't know if my body went diving down under the sugary vines in some sleep-sharpened affinity with the depths or whether that green energy rose like a wave and curled over me, claiming me in its husky arms. I pushed them away but I didn't rise. Never in my life had I felt so plush are so slippery, are so resplendently empty. Never in my life had I felt myself so near the porous line where my own body was done with and the roots and the stems and the flowers began. Relaxing and relaxing. Relaxing with the aliveness that's here. Not resisting anything. With great tenderness completely letting be. listening to and feeling the entire moment. Resplendently empty. filled with awakeness, this sea of awakeness.
from this place of shared presence, feeling our prayer that all beings everywhere may touch the silence and mystery and goodness of their true nature, that all beings everywhere might live their lives as an expression of loving presence. Namaste. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.